Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey y'all, welcome back to a Thursday, July 13th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Big show for you guys today. We've got Fangraph's John Taylor talking all things Major League Baseball. It's Thursday, so you know that means Take Graphs is back. Our MLB show here on the Chase Thomas podcast. MLB draft, talk about that. A lot of alls in the draft. Uh, how the draft is growing with the rise of college baseball. Uh, the MLB All-Star game, is it work? What can be fixed? Is it the best of all the big uh, professional sports here in uh, the United States. Uh, we talked about uh, John's take of the week, why he thinks the Braves are going to win the World Series this year, uh, why Otani should join the Mariners, and a whole lot more. So fun show for you guys today. Take graphs. MLB show. It's coming up. All that next. Folks, if you are a first-time listener and you uh, this is your first time listening to the show, uh, I would greatly appreciate it if you enjoyed today's episode uh that you subscribe for future episodes you can go to apple spotify wherever you get your podcast hit that subscribe button new content in your feed each and every day so make sure you're locked in so you never miss an episode of, of the variety of shows that we do each and every day all week long here on the chase Thomas podcast if you're already a listener and a subscriber to this show uh first thank you and also uh, please make sure you know I'm about to ask you. Please take a second and leave this show a five-star rating and write a review. It helps other people find the show, and it helps this very show continue to grow. So if you could take a second and take care of that today, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, go check out our new website. New website is live and bumping and awesome. So check out chasethomaspodcast.com today for all the info and cool stuff you need um, to support the chase thomas podcast also you can check us out on youtube youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe for full episode shorts and clips 
And if you have any MLB questions for John or I for next week's show, hey, tweet at us, Thomas, And you can also email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. All right. Thursday, July 13th. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. Just I lost track of how many Vols were drafted over the last week. John Taylor, uh, but shout out to my. Long forgotten son, Chase Dollander, uh, the the younger Chase here in Knoxville, Tennessee, having to uh, go to Colorado. Uh, he joins up with rising star Jordan Beck, um, very very my my formerly large adult son here in Knoxville, Tennessee. But um, that was probably the worst case scenario for me. I'm not gonna lie of where he went. Uh, Blade Tidwell last year, the Mets I liked. I'm like, hey, it's still the Mets, but like Blade will be fine. I think Blade will be okay. His name's Blade. Uh, things are pretty pretty good there when your name Blade Tidwell, but it was kind of wild. Malia fourth round to the Giants. We have Jared Dickey really late. He's going to sign with the Royals. Um, they got a bargain there. Um, a lot of a lot of dudes. Joyce, the Joyce twins reunite in uh, Los Angeles. So that's a, a fun story. But uh, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Keeping up with uh, the Vols in Major League Baseball. Tennessee, I thought was going to take, or excuse me, Atlanta in the end of the first round, I thought was going to take my alma mater's uh, best player, Colin Huck, uh, mm. at Parkview. Because, okay. you know, but the Braves have no problem going in-state. They have no problem with the Michael Harris's, the Matt Olsons, the Jeff Francois. Like, they're going to do it. And he's a pretty good prospect. He was committed to Mississippi State, but he was on the board, and I thought they would do it. But the Braves love taking arms. They're just like, we're never going to get tired of just taking taking arms they take the florida kid who should be fine but i don't know the braves have a process and that process is you can never have enough arms and we're just going to keep throwing uh resources at uh, starting pitching in the early rounds but uh, i just threw a lot at you john how are you i am going to pretend like i understood most of that oh do you watch the draft live no no okay. i i'm just not a draft guy it's mm. i know nothing about college baseball i say from what i have learned uh from you in the yes. course of talking about uh, the tennessee volunteers mm. and i also this is just the reality of the major league baseball draft that the sport itself or the league better said is just never going to be able to overcome barring a massive change in how baseball works a lot of those guys whose names were called uh on saturday or when did the draft start? Friday? Whenever. Yes. I, I over, don't know. Over the it weekend. just kept going. I feel like it's been going on consecutively it's, for well, it's several funny, days. It's funny because it's only 20 rounds now, which yeah. it used to be 50, which <sighs> is insane to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the guys whose names you heard called on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and that includes a, a significant portion of the first rounders, the mm-hmm. you know as close as you could theoretically get to a guaranteed uh, future major leaguer, we're mm-hmm. never going to hear from most of those guys ever. Right, you know, the great majority of those guys will never make it to the major leagues. Will never have any kind of career that will be remembered. You know, obviously there are exceptions to that, and I'm sure that of you know, I'm, I'm sure that barring injury or something strange, you know, we will see Dylan Cruz, we will see Paul Skeens, we will see Wyatt Langford. You know, it's it's rare for top ten picks at least to bust that to bust so hard that you just don't see them. Although it does happen. I mean, 
I don't know if any other sport has produced as many. I mean, name name the bus number one over number one overall bus, top five bus, top ten bus, first round bus, to the point where it's not even fair. I think to call them bus, you know. Yeah. I think what it just it illustrates is baseball is very very hard, which is not to yeah. say that basketball and football and 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 hockey are not, but the other part of that is it is so much likelier in particular i think the nba has the strongest hold on this it's so much and and part because they're only you know they're only two rounds of the nba draft and most teams are selecting no more than three maybe four players at the most Mm. you're gonna see those guys in some capacity or another the great majority of those guys will appear in an nba game at some point uh or at least the first rounders will i can't Mm. speak for the second rounders second round seems to be a crapshoot pretty much in pretty much every sense similarly i think with the nfl most nfl first rounders will probably make it and the marquee stars of a draft will almost certainly make it baseball just doesn't have that both in the sense that its marquee stars are obviously nowhere near i mean dylan cruz paul skeens great seasons for a national champion i would guarantee if you stopped or outside of baton rouge i would guarantee or or outside of baton rouge i would assume the great majority if not all people you interact with would have absolutely no clue who either of those two men are and probably will not know either. Because the other thing, too, is that, you know, by virtue of this being a, a draft where, you know, de- determined by record, as, as all these drafts are, uh, Skeens is going to a, t- a team in Pittsburgh that is as far from, you know, big league market as it gets. Cruz is going to a Nationals team that's going to be at least a few years, if not more, from relevance it's just it's rough you know you're you're taking these guys who are i guess better said to me that's just why i just kind of give the draft no more than really a passing look you know you're not going to see a lot of these guys and most of them are not going to do much and i I don't want to be pessimistic about it i mean there obviously are going to be guys who come out of this draft class who are going to be future stars future all-stars future mvps whatever you whatever it ends up being but i also just i i don't really feel like trying to learn about a guy where it's like eight times out of ten they're not going to do anything. And even those who do make it, it's still going to be another three or four years before we really even see them. And I think, you know, when, when the Kyler Murray uh, decision went down, where he, he pulled out of, essentially pulled out of the MLB draft in order to enter the NFL draft and, and when is the number one pick to Arizona, you know, it, I know there was a lot of consternation on the part of baseball fans is how could this happen? You know, why would he choose to do this? And it's like, because baseball's hard and the road to the major leagues is very long. Yeah. You know, leaving aside the fact that that Kyler Murray was drafted by an A's team that is going nowhere except for Las Vegas. Um, I, I think I wrote about it at the time for Sports Illustrated. You know, what is it? What is in his best interest? Is it playing a brutal, difficult, uh, physically destructive sport, mm. but one that will make him rich and famous beyond his wildest dreams and land him on on magazine covers and on the cover of Madden and ideally, you know, beyond that, I know that's not how his career has panned out, but you know, regardless, or one where three years into his career, he's going to be playing at single a in front of 2,500 people riding crappy buses back and forth all over, uh, you know, the Southwest of the United States. You know, it's not really much of a, of a, of a fight, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so I think the, the MLB draft, I, it's fine. I have nothing against. I mean, the only thing I have against the MLB draft is the fact that it's unfair in the utmost to make these kids to subject these kids to a system where they don't get to choose where they play. You know, and I think Dollander is a good example. I think the great majority of pitchers would not go anywhere near the Colorado Rockies if they were given the opportunity. 
And you can say, well, that's unfair to the Rockies. How are they supposed to get pitching? I say it's unfair to Chase Dollander that his major league career is affect. I don't want to be too harsh, but has the single largest roadblock imaginable in its play in its way now by virtue of the fact that he's been drafted by a dumb organization that plays in the single worst pitching environment in the majors. That sucks, and he should not have to. That should not simply be his lot in life. But you know the 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 capitalist nightmare of the draft aside. <laughs> It's it's just hard to get excited about a guy you're not going to see for like four years, you know. Unless you're the Angels, who only draft MLB ready guys now, like back to back years. And I think Aaron uh, Eric Lonning Hagen is it Lonning Lonning Long and Hagen. Long, oh, there you go. Um, Long and, <laughs> and it's one you can't say fast. Um, it, like it's he had a little excerpt about the Angels day one pick, and he was just like, yeah, that it was like an open secret that the Angels were going to take the most MLB ready hitter, uh, yes. so they could rush him up to the majors as quickly as humanly possible. Which is, I love this strategy of the Angels only using first round picks of like, who can we get here as fast as humanly possible because our stars are getting older and we have no depth anywhere. Yeah, and you can. I think you can see that with other teams. I noticed the Red Sox, if you know their draft strategy was, you know, they popped Kyle Teal in the first mm-hmm. with their first round pick. Um, which I, I saw a lot of people liked and seemed like Teal was a little bit of a, uh, um, a fortuitous slide for them mm. uh, as arguably the best catcher in the draft, or at least the most, both the most decorated and the most likely to make a major league impact. Uh, they followed that by taking two high school infielders who are both highly rated and whom they'll ha- most likely have to go over slot in order to sign. Mm. And then they spent the rest of the draft taking mostly college pitchers. Because, you know, as is, I think, probably, I mean, if you were to do a study, I would guess that the guys who get to the majors the fastest, the guys who provide the most value in that sense, are probably college pitchers, just because mm. they are already, they are ready to contribute at the very minimum, uh, you know, above a single A level, and particularly college relievers, you can rush them up to the system very, through their theory system very, very fast. I remember years ago when the Red Sox drafted uh, Craig Hansen, mm. all you Rutgers heads out there. Um, or was it Rutgers or was it St. John's? Either way, North Northeast College. Well, this Craig is you're going to start a war here. You can't just mix up uh, St. John's and Rutgers. I know two this, different states, two, two different, different areas, two different states, the exact same student body. Um, I remember that part of the plan with Hanson and a, a strategy I think they tried to follow uh, years later with a TCU reliever named Durbin Feltman was to to grab essentially the best college reliever they could find. And just go, let's get you up to the majors. Let's mm. not waste any of your bullets, you know, pitching the seventh inning for double-A <laughs> Portland. Like, no, you're, you're ready to contribute now. Neither of those guys worked out. But, I mean, I, I can understand the Angels' the Angels strategy in that regard. And I think, mm. I, I do wonder, you know, and again, not a draft guy. I haven't done any of, this, any of this kind of study. But I do wonder if, you know, aside from those overslot, super talented high school guys, you're essentially buying out of college commitments in the first and second round. If most most teams at this point are just going all in on as many college players as they can, given that those high school guys invariably take longer to develop and have a higher bust rate, I would assume, than the college guys do. But regardless, that's um, a good question. I'd like to see some data on that. I'm I'm curious of what that actually is like because I don't know. I'm trying to think. Okay, the best players right now, uh, Mike Trout, obviously a hit. Um, the high school guys, like the best players in baseball right now. Um, I mean, it, it's. It, I mean, they come from all over. It's. It's. Yeah. You know, Ronald Acuna Jr. is an international right. signing. Julio Rodriguez is an international signing. Mike Trout uh, was a high school draft. Pick Freeman was a Jersey. high school guy, right? Freeman was a high school guy. Like yeah. you know, and I think the maybe the lesson there more is again, you go for the elite talent high school guys. Mm-hmm. 
But otherwise, you know, you're not drafting a 17-year-old kid in the in the 16th round unless they're, uh, you know, unless aside from the guys where it's like, you know, we're going to we'll we'll see if we can convince them not to go to school when they fall into this round because of signability issues or, or what have you, just because of how much time it takes to develop those guys, particularly high school pitchers. Um, it is just such a long and fraught road to get to the major leagues that I imagine most teams feel like the potential upside of this guy, we're going to get him theoretically, at least, you know, closer to his peak, uh, getting him younger. So that there's more athleticism in this pick versus we also don't know if he's actually any good at professional baseball. You know, mm. obviously there's a miles and miles of difference between, uh, hitting tanks off 16 year olds, you know, in, in a high school ball in California or Texas versus, you know, doing it at the professional level. But, you know, I, I again, I, I got nothing, you know, the draft is fine, dude, draft, uh, whatever. I, I, I don't have anything against the draft industrial complex. I just don't follow it. I, it's, you know, it's particularly well, I think it's because I'm not, league, because I'm, I don't I'm not know that kind of baseball just... watcher either. You know, with the, being a scout and being a prospect guy just involves a certain amount of, like, knowing baseball mechanics and projection yeah. that I, I, I just don't care about. That's fair. And that's why we have folks like Eric uh, exactly. do, the, do the good stuff for us. Um, I'm, I'm, I will I'm say happy to let the people in those lanes do that work. For sure. And I think one of the things, too, and we can move on after this, um, for all the draft sickos out here, but I will say I think it's a net positive that a lot of the early picks were known commodities and that with college baseball getting more and more popular is good for Major League Baseball because it makes the draft more interesting. And like you said, a lot of these guys are going to go in to hibernation and go into uh go away uh for a couple of years but you look at it and you look at the like a lot of people knew who paul Skeens was like paul Skeens. it's good that lsu mm-hmm. for them won the title for major League baseball i should say because that dude's just an absolute freak and i think he'll be in pittsburgh sooner rather than later but like you look at it jack wilson's kid first uh top 10 pick you look at wyatt langford who had a great career at florida and there's just a lot more eyeballs and i think if you're major league baseball you want as much as that as humanly possible. You want as many guys that people know and they're like, oh, he's a little bit older, but he's also exciting. Fans watched him on ESPN for the last month and uh, the College World Series and this, that, and the other. I think it's a, it feels like there's a lot of momentum right now for college baseball, more than at any point in my lifetime. I would, I would agree that's true. I think just the expanded visibility of it through various uh, additional, like particular conference-specific uh, TV networks, yeah. through the advent and rise of streaming, which has made it much easier to watch these games. I know, you know, I, I, it'd be fun to, I think, to have a conversation with an old-school college baseball head about what it was mm. like trying to watch the sport really even <laughs> 15 years ago. Even when, five? Yeah, when you were reduced to box scores um, or live tweets from student journalists mm. or... You know, or or whatever like hardcore sicko method you had to use to get to watch these games or to or to know about them if you weren't physically there at the stadium mm-hmm. or in living in the immediate area. Uh, for sure, I think that, and I think, uh, like you said, a better, more visible college baseball benefits Major League Baseball too. That these, if these guys can become, uh, if not household names, at least known names, not just mm-hmm. through what they do on the field, but also through the through the advent of of NIL and social media and you know having uh, a large presence in other in other networks and and avenues um i think too it it helps that college baseball has seemingly really heavily embraced in the same way i think major league baseball did or has over the last uh 25 years or so uh tech new technology new training 
statistics, sabermetrics, um, all the pitch design and pitch lab stuff that has mm-hmm. uh, inundated the majors. You can argue whether or not that's good or bad for co- for the competitive level of ma- of college baseball. Certainly, it seems like you know this was already a sport divided between haves and have-nots, and I would guess the gap has only grown bigger with regards to say you know a team like LSU or Florida or Tennessee versus a smaller program that doesn't have the resources able to invest or doesn't have the resources to invest in uh, the technology or the training that those schools can. But, I mean, the upside for Major League Baseball fans is that you're getting players who are, theoretically at least, more ready for the majors or, you know, at least more suited for the majors because they have now been working in the same uh, avenues, I think, when it, again, when it comes to training and technology, so that, you know, you're getting college players who are more likely to be good, if not great, major leaguers. And I think that also might be something pushing teams toward those college guys as opposed to flooding the zone with high schoolers. Because as far as I know, and I can't imagine this is going to change anytime soon, high school baseball doesn't operate like that. No. No high school sport, with the possible exception of, like, Texas high school football or something, you know, puts such a premium on finding the best possible athletes. You're just getting what you get from the immediate area. You know, colleges obviously can recruit from wherever they feel like, can spend as much money on this as they feel like. And, of course, the NIL situation uh, means that these guys can now get paid, which is both appropriate for them, but also means that a big school like LSU can just tell its boosters, stop giving us money, start giving them money, because it all just flows upward toward us anyway. That is true. Um, However... We do want to talk about some uh, some uh, like MLB ready actual major lines. league baseball. Yeah, because if this is just going to be college baseball in the draft, uh, this is, this podcast is going to be about thirty more seconds of me <laughs> trying to think of an a fake emergency so I can drop the call. The, we we already know what it is. It's the dog. Like, it's the dog. Oh he, no, he, he's crying very loudly, <laughs> and also he's got a gun. Oh no, how did he get that? But no, let's let's talk major league baseball. <laughs> when, on a day when there is literally no Major League Baseball. There is no Major League Baseball, John. Um, your take graphs, take of the week, is it an all-star game take of the week? I, what is your I, take of the week? I have no all-star game takes at this point. I didn't watch the all-star game, to be entirely honest. I, yeah. I don't think I have watched a full all-star game in probably at least five years, maybe ten. Is this um, your take? No, because I don't. I mean, I think most people don't watch the All Star Game. I would I would hmm. wager most Major League Baseball fans do not tune in for the All Star Game because it's just kind of fundamentally boring. I think hmm. in the same way, it, it's different, and I think the way that the the NBA All Star Game is boring because those guys are playing at like thirty percent effort, and it's just yeah. so immediately visible that it it's like, what's the point of this? The Pro Bowl is boring because it's impossible to play football at anything other than one hundred percent effort and have it not look like just pure nonsense to the point where I, I do kind of wonder if the NFL will be better served. And I know they've kind of done this, but almost taking football entirely out of the pro bowl and just having mm-hmm. it be something else. But then it's well, not the pro really Bowl's canceled. The pro they don't bowl. do it anymore. Okay, fine. So yeah. there, that should also tell you how up I am on what's going on in the NFL. <laughs> well, um, it's not like you're years behind John. It's a recent development. Okay. Last couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's I also think... like your points well taken, which is I think major league baseball is the only big american sport where you can't mail in the all-star game which is which is funny because then you do get people who do mail in the all-star game i mean we all remember uh adam wainwright grooving a ball to Derek jeter in his final all-star game i would wager that that's the that is the the rule and not the exceptions these guys are not going all out and nor should they be 
the idea of like for example Ronald Acuña getting injured in the All-Star game because he's playing at 100% effort. Uh I'm sure every team, I'm sure these guys already know, but I'm sure every team is telling them anyway, take it easy out there please. Like yeah. you know, this is this is an an exhibition that means quite literally nothing. And I think I think that's the thing about the All-Star game that kind of renders any take pointless, is that at the end of the day, it is a meaningless exhibition. I should, mm-hmm. uh, let me rephrase. Meaningless in the sense that it has no impact on the Major League, on the current Major League Baseball season, which is a good mm-hmm. thing. The years when they had the whole winner of the All-Star, whichever league wins the All-Star game, gets home field advantage the World Series, is stupid nonsense. Mm-hmm. It was stupid then, it is stupid now, and I'm glad Major League Baseball got rid of that. It has the All Star Game has meaning, but I think it's to a very I think it's to a narrow slice of the population, and in particular, it's kids. Hmm. I remember as a kid how exciting the All Star Game was, in particular because that was before the advent of of season round interleague play. So you were seeing these players and matchups that you normally just did not get to see, and this was up until even 2013, I think. I remember that was the Matt Harvey All Star Game where he faced Miguel Cabrera, and it was like this is so cool, the best young pitcher in baseball triple crown winner and MVP facing off against each other. And I think it's still cool to see that to a certain degree, but we get interleague all year round. Now we see these matchups all the time. You know, it it is not really anything special necessarily to see Zach Gallen uh, pitch to whoever was leading off for the American league uh, in the all-star game. I, I don't even actually know what the lineups are. I'm guessing it was Marcus Semyon because there were, a billion Rangers that feels players, right? Yeah, but you know, Zach Allen, Marcus Semyon, that probably happened in spring training. I'm almost—it's almost guaranteed that that happened in spring training. These mm-hmm. matchups are not special anymore, and part of that is just because Major League Baseball is a fully integrated thing. There's no AL and NL separate anymore. You know, we have interleague, we have the universal DH, we have the umpires who work for both leagues. We don't have league presidents anymore. It is just all one collective league, which is why. I mean, if I do have an all-star take at this point, it's it's one that I think a lot of people have probably hit on. It's I think the structure of the all-star game vis-a-vis the teams needs to change to a certain degree hmm. in that AL versus NL doesn't really mean anything anymore. It used to because, again, we didn't see the AL play the NL unless it was the World Series. Now we hmm. see it every single day. There is always an interleague game every single day. Make it something different then. Make it a, a USA versus world. Make it a, 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 a veterans versus rookies or, or something along those lines. I don't know if it works. In I don't know if you could get the same kind of NBA all-star captains pick a team because I just think, one, there are too many players, and two, like, if you're the captain of, like, the, you know, if you're, if you're team Acuna, how are mm. you choosing between, like, David Bednar and Camilo Duvall? Like, does that matter in the least? Not everyone even plays in the all-star game for that matter, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I think I, none of this is a knock on the All-Star game, which is harmless fun for a, 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 a summer night in July. Mm-hmm. It's just not something I think that really holds the same cachet anymore. And at least for, for me as an adult, I think for kids it's probably different because they get to see all these awesome players they love all on one stage, all doing this one thing together. Um, if there's anything I just find particularly except funny about the Except for that one deals, kid in the home run derby. He didn't. Enjoy. Yeah, except for that one kid who got absolutely drilled by a ball off Vlad Jr.'s bat. Let me just say, if you're a parent, I don't care how good your kid is at baseball. What on earth are you doing putting them on the field with half a dozen of the strongest people on earth, all mm-hmm. of whom by the end of that home run derby, because they are wiped out from an hour of swinging off their ass are now hitting 105 mile an hour balls at perfect line drive angles into the outfield. Like it's honestly a miracle more kids don't get drilled during this thing. But um 
It's true. It's no the the All Star Game is fine. I love that it always ends up turning on something like Elias Diaz hitting a, a tie, hitting a go ahead home run. Mm. Like it, the fact that Elias Diaz, the 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 lone Rocky who's there, mm. the a catcher who was up about two seasons ago a complete non entity, won an All Star Game MVP. That that is going to be a brutally hard trivia question for the <laughs> remainder of the sports history. Like. I, I don't know how many Rockies players I would go through if you asked me which Rockies player won the All-Star Game MVP before I got to Elias Diaz. I'm guessing it's at least a dozen. Hmm. But regardless, no, no real take about the All-Star Game other than it happened, fine. You know, it's, it's if you were entertained by it, cool. I find the Home Run Derby more entertaining, although it's, even that only has so much value. I think it's just because it takes way too long. It's a three-hour event. It's, it's, it's a lot. But uh, yeah. no, I, I figured I'd put my take... Uh, on the field as we're getting ready for the second half to start and say that my World Series pick going into the second half after one, well, it's not even really a half, let's call it like 60% of the season out of the way is, and, and I think you're you're going to be very happy with my choice here, I think the Atlanta Braves are going to win the World Series. Oh, wow. I, I think that is, and I... He's seen enough. And look, I get it. On the one hand, it's chalk as hell. They have the best record in baseball. You know, it's not exactly going out on a limb to say the best team in baseball is, I I think, will win the World Series. But I think it's just a combination for me of they have the best pitcher in baseball in Spencer Strider. They have the best lineup. Best in in baseball? I think so. If not the best, at least top three. It is a... I'll I'll take it. If only because I think down seasons from Corbin Burns have helped. A down season, a relatively down season from Garrett Cole. Matt yeah. Scherzer getting older, Justin Verlander getting older, Clayton Kershaw, uh, who's still great, but is now on doing his annual about month or two month long injured list stint. Yeah. Um, you know, Zach Gallen, I don't think is quite at that level. I think the only real uh, contender for that with, with Strider is Otani, hmm. but I don't think he has the same consistency. I think the stuff, in, in a pure stuff level, Shohei Otani is the best pitcher on the planet, Yeah, I think. But in, in results, I think it's still Strider. So, I would still go Cole. Like, if I had to go gun to my head anyone for one game, like, who would I trust the most? I'd still probably go Cole. And that's and that's the thing. Like, I, I yeah. think it's, it's not a it's not a, a, a open and shut, you know, yes, Spencer Strider is, mm. is you know, God's gift to pitching. But I think I mean, right, he is. Like, have, you, uh, I mean, he's God's <laughs> gift to Cavs. He throws 97 with, yeah. with wipeout sliders. It's scary. Mm. And he does it for six innings straight without blinking. It's amazing. Mm. Um but I think having the best pitcher in baseball, or at least arguably the best pitcher in baseball, mm. for sure the best lineup in baseball, I think top to bottom is is scary what Atlanta is capable of doing. Can I uh, tell you one thing that kind of scares me about the lineup? I should say, with, along with the best lineup in baseball, the best at this point, um, I don't think best all-around player, but at least the best pure hitter in baseball right now in Ronald Acuna. Yeah, he's going to win the you know, MVP. Yeah. Like, he's just an absolute delight. Did you see his chain of himself? That he was rocking. It, it's beautiful. I, I mm-hmm. love. I, that, that, I think it's the other thing about the All Star Game that I, I I like at least in theory is it lets these guys be themselves to a degree that they can't really be during the season because it's a long season and you're not just going to be that out and in, in everyone's face for 162 games. Mm-hmm. But on this big national stage where all you're being asked to do is just like show up and ball and ball essentially, it works. You know, I think yeah. you saw something. I think you saw that with just for example Randy Rosarena during the home run derby. Um, yeah, or similarly with. Even a guy, I, I had no idea Adley Rutschman had, as the kids say, sauce. I did not know he was cool. But take turning around 
to take hacks from the other side of the plate as a switch hitter during the home run derby is impossibly cool. So way to go, Adley Rutschman. You are not uh, as much of a Joe Maurer square as I kind of just figured automatically. But you were going to say, what? what is the thing that scares you about the Braves lineup? Okay. I don't think Sean Murphy's... Uh, his 270 plate appearances, like, he has a 166 diversity plus. Like, he's raking. He's awesome. I don't think he'll keep up that pace, but he's going to be good. I think Matt Olson is about where he's going to be the rest of the way. I think Albies, if he's healthy, is about where he's going to be. Orlando Arcia has come down a little bit, 108. Austin Riley hasn't gotten hot yet, and that should theoretically scare a lot of NL teams, where it's like, Austin Riley's just been fine, like, to this point. Like, he's just (laughs) been fine. And, like, I don't think that's going to continue for the full season. So, I would not be surprised if Austin Riley goes on a second half tear. However, injury health been very good for this team um, to this point. Yeah, with with the exception of Arcia, um, it, and I guess briefly Travis. I guess Arcia and Michael Harris really the only guys. Who but Michael missed. Harris and, and he's I, I think it. maybe maybe more on the pitching side because you know they lost Max Fried for a large chunk of the first half. Mm. Um, they had Rice Lake Lacey's out for a while. Their bullpen has been really up and down, I think, thanks to thanks to injuries. Mm. Uh, Kyle Wright obviously missing as well. Um, but I think, yeah, particularly with the lineup, I think they're, they're, they've they've gotten some tremendous hell so far. I mean, you have Olsen, Albies, Riley, and Acuna have all played 89 games. Yeah. Uh, which I believe is, if not the entire first half, as close as you can get to it. Um, Riz- and that Eddie matters. Rosario's played 79. Ozuna's played 73. Murphy's played 67. Like even I guess even Harris and Arcia, who have missed a good amount of time already, are already close to 70 games played and are probably going to finish the season somewhere in the 130 or so range. So yeah, yeah. It's, it, they've been relatively healthy. And Rosario, Ozuna, Darno, you just go through it. A lot of these guys are just having really good years. Like I'm just waiting for the bottom to fall out on a couple of these role players. I'm waiting for the rough july from ozuna and or rosario so i'm worried that the braves might be a little too stagnant where they're like we're the best team in baseball i want them to be aggressive i want them to be like hey let's not take anything for granted we had an unbelievable and not sustainable june where everything was working and they just a june just an all-time run in june and the early part of july um which is, I mean, and obviously a good thing for it. And that's the thing, regardless of whether or not it's sustainable, and you're right, it's not remotely. Um, it has given them such a leg up when it comes to the post, when it comes to simply to getting to the postseason, which is the most important. Obviously, you have to yeah. make the postseason if you're going to win the World Series. They have a per hour numbers a 99% chance to win the division now, which makes mm. sense given that they are 12 games up on, uh, or sorry, eight and a half games up on the Marlins. A 99% chance to win the division. A 100% chance to win the playoffs and our highest playoff odds by a big, big margin, 24%. That is double Tampa Bay's odds. Mm. No other team is in, or, or sorry, uh, the Dodgers are also at 12.7%. We'll call it 13. Mm. No other team is in double digits. It's the Braves, the Dodgers, and the Rays. Those are by our numbers on fan graphs, our, our postseason odds and projections. Those are the three most likely teams to win the World Series. And of those three, Atlanta has far and away the easiest path going forward. They have a massive lead in the division, a division that has, with the exception of the Marlins, uh, uniformly been mediocre to bad. Mm. The most likely competition for them in the Mets is just, they have floundered all season, and it really does. I, I mean, and we can, and I don't know, maybe there's more to be said about the Mets eventually, but I, I, they have so much work they need to do to get just to the point of being even in the playoff yeah. conversation. 
much less. I think their division. I mean, they're eighteen and a half games back in the division. Any any and all division hopes they had are gone. Yes. Um, the Phillies, I think, are the. And I I I will say, uh, you know, the. I, and maybe this will be my take next next week when I you know once we get some more baseball under uh, under our belt. Mm-hmm. And I can do a little looking in to see about the Marlins because I remember saying, you know, a, f- a few weeks ago, the Marlins aren't for real. I am wrong, but I don't think they're good enough to challenge the Braves for the division. I don't really, I don't see that being a particularly close race. No, um, the Dodgers are going to have a have a much tighter race on their hands uh, with the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and potentially the Padres. We'll see. The Rays have a pretty good gap in the, or the Rays have the Orioles right on their heels after having a, a kind of rough June can't obviously write off the Yankees or the Blue Jays. Even the Red Sox are five games over 500 right now in last place. Um, by the way, the Red Sox would be three games ahead of the, of uh, two and a half games ahead of Cleveland for first place in the AL Central right now. Hmm. So let's all think about that. But I think they have the easiest path to the playoffs. I think, you know, not only that, but the easy, but they're almost guaranteed the number one seed barring either the Dodgers or I guess the Marlins. I mean, those are the only real competition they have for the number one seed. Um, which is going to give them, obviously, not just the first round off, but home field advantage throughout. Um, and I think just overall, the quality of the teams in the NL, with the exception of maybe the Dodgers, depending, and that's largely depending, I think, on what they do over the next month, both in terms of getting guys healthy and what they do at the deadline. I don't think it's as much of a dogfight to get out of the National League as mm. it's going to be for the American League uh, pennant winner to get out of the AL. You know, between the, the, between the four AL East teams, the Astros... The Rangers, who have, I think, the other, uh, the Rangers and the Rays, I think, are the other contenders when it comes to the best offense in baseball besides Atlanta. Uh, maybe one of the pesky AL Central teams. I think there's a lot more, a lot more of a dogfight there. Whereas I think in the in the NL, it's it's you know the Phillies, the Marlins, the Reds, maybe the Brewers. Although again, I, I think whichever team loses the NL Central is almost certainly out of the playoffs. I don't think they have enough to make a, a wild card run. You know, and then you're talking about the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks and maybe the Giants, you know, but I, I, that, I mean, this is just personal. This isn't based on any real numbers. I just feel like the Braves will have an easier time with the NL than whoever wins the AL will have with the rest of the AL. Um, and look, I, and that's also not to say that the, the Braves are perfect by any stretch. I'm not crazy about their bullpen right now, among many things. Um, Iglesias has been fine. Nick Anderson has been good. Kirby Yates has been great. I forgot they traded for Joe Jimenez. Mm. But uh, Colin McHugh's also been very good. Mm. Weirdly enough, I who is Michael Tonkin? Do I have to know that name? Yeah, you need to know Michael Tonkin. He's good. Okay, I think I, I think for me, uh, and I, I I feel like I've just been hammering on this point, but for me, it, it all just falls on AJ Minter though, because yeah. that's going to be the guy that that Brian Snicker is going to be asking for the most high leverage outs throughout the postseason, uh, assuming that you know he's not assuming he's not playing uh, uh, matchups with regards to handedness. Like mm. they need Minter to be better. You know, because otherwise they're asking a lot of two guys in Anderson and Yates who have gone through severe arm problems in their career and a guy and or add McHugh to that list as well. Or guys like Jimenez and Tonkin, who I think are probably more comfortably uh, back of the rotation or sorry, middle of the bullpen guys. The rotation beyond Strider, I'm not thrilled about either. Uh, a lot of that, a lot of I think how far Atlanta goes will depend on. Max Fried coming back healthy. I think that's obviously the most important thing for Atlanta in the second half of the season is to get him back healthy. Because if you have Strider and Fried atop your rotation, you know, starting games one and two or whatever it happens to be, you're in really good shape. I don't love Charlie Morton this season. I don't really like the idea of Bryce Elder having to face postseason lineups. 
I'm curious what, if anything, Atlanta will do about getting another arm if they feel like that's the route they want to go. I know they got, they've got they gotten some decent work out of Michael Soroka, but Jared Schuster hasn't really produced. Dylan Dodd hasn't really produced. Um, you know, There are some holes there pitching-wise that I think they would be wise to address. But for the most part, you know, this is a good, this is just a very, very good Atlanta team. I think the other thing you worry about the Braves is they're kind of okay defensively. Mm. And I think particularly in the outfield, aside from Harris, uh, it's a little shaky. As, as things, Eddie Rosario is an awful defender. Acuna is pretty much average, I would say, maybe a little above. Harris is obviously great. Um, regardless, though, I, I like, I think, everything Atlanta has. I think they're in a better position than Tampa Bay, which has real rotation and bullpen problems. I think in a better position than the Dodgers, who are really running into uh, starting pitching depth issues and some lineup depth lineup depth issues. I like, you know, I, I think every other team that I would consider to be a realistic World Series contender has more flaws and more visible flaws in what Atlanta is dealing with right now. Yeah, and I also just... <laughs> Strider is so good, and I mean, he had that weird stretch that scared me a little bit, um, where he was getting hammered, and that passed, and he's back to the old Spencer. I just think he's going to be kind of mercurial for uh, the remainder of his prime and his career. I think it's just kind of him, but like Kyle Wright, I would just go ahead and cancel, right? Like expecting I, I, anything I, major from Kyle Wright at this point, I think no, would I, not I th- be fair. I don't think the I think of the two injured starters the Braves have in Freed and, and Wright. I mean Freed is obviously already trending on his way back, but I think that that's the guy who's who is capable of making They it need Freed and they need Morton to stay healthy at this point. I think Morton's sneaky important. Bryce Elder has just been um wildly important this whole run. But if you have a playoff rotation of healthy Freed, Strider, Morton, and then Elder for long relief and that sort of thing, like you feel yeah, pretty I, good. I, I think you're okay if you if you expect, for example, that Elder's gonna gonna go through the lineup no more than twice. You yeah, know? and then you're gonna start bringing in a guy like McHugh or a guy like Jimenez to try to get six outs and try to bridge things toward Yates and Anderson and Minter and Iglesias. Which, that I mean, that's the other thing. You know, for as much as I say I, I worry about Minter because he is such an integral part of this bullpen, this mm-hmm. is a pretty deep bullpen at least in terms of the results they've gotten so far, and that obviously goes a long way when you were not you know. There are a lot of teams, I think, contenders in particular, who, you know, they go two, maybe three deep in their bullpen, and after that, you're kind of looking around and going, okay, we kind of need to get lucky for a little bit here. Mm. I don't feel that so much the case with Atlanta, and I think, um, given what we've seen out of Alex Anthopoulos, too, and the way he treats the deadline, I also don't think we're just going to, that this same roster that's going to take the field on... um, Whenever it is the Braves start the second half, Friday, I believe. Mm. I don't think that's going to be the same roster you see on August 2nd. You know, I think Atlanta is going to do stuff at the deadline. Uh, I think if nothing else, they'll be examining the market for pitching. I imagine they'll probably be looking at maybe getting um, some extra, maybe some extra help in the outfield, maybe a good uh, defensive backup for a guy like Ozuna in particular, if they insist, or better than that, not Ozuna, rather, but a guy like Rosario. Mm. Um you know, there there's a there is still things Atlanta can do to better its position, but again, I, I just find them to be in a stronger position than pretty much every other team in baseball at this point. That's fair. Um I'm not gonna argue too much here, John. I, I was gonna nice. say, like I've I've given you on a platter the thing you want most here, mm-hmm. which is to say the Braves are gonna win the World Series, so you better not you better not argue with me on that one. No. Um John, Shohei Otani got her very warm reception in Seattle. Yes, uh, he did uh, this week. I understand you can't trade a midseason into uh, to 
to Seattle, division rival, that sort of thing. But you see it, and like everyone just has the Dodgers penciled in. The Dodgers are really freaking good, John. Mm-hmm. Like he Shohei Otani would be great. The fans care significant. Like the Dodger games and everything else, like fun atmosphere. Uh, obviously, a huge market. They really, really love the Dodgers. That all being said, I saw it and I'm like, I think I it would be so much cooler if he ended up in, in Seattle. Like, it would be a lot cooler if, if he stays in the West Coast. Seattle's right there. You have Julio Rodriguez there. You have some budding stars. They broke the playoff drought last year. I, If he leaves, I think I've talked myself into, like, wouldn't it be a whole lot cooler if the Mariners were the team that ponied up and gave him the, the mega deal and he, he spurned the guarantee success, the guaranteed funness of being in L.A. and winning at least a title or two with the Dodgers and an MVP. Like, wouldn't it just be cooler, John, to see him in Seattle? I I, I think I'm rooting for uh, Shohei Otani, especially as what we saw. Like, I think he would be so much cooler in Seattle and with the Mariners than, uh, than with the Dodgers. Are you on the same page? I mean, I suppose. I've always assumed he would go to the Dodgers because I figured the Dodgers would make him the biggest offer. And that, as he's made very clear, particularly in his comments, where I hate, basically amounts to, I hate losing and I don't want to lose anymore. Yeah. I think they're also going to be more likely the, the, the I think they meet the combination of, of best contender with the most money that is going to appeal the most to Otani. Beyond, of course, the, the geographic stuff about being on the West Coast, about being in a major market, about being close to Japan, about being with a team that already has a history of Japanese players that is popular in Japan. Seattle, obviously, I think makes sense in a lot of ways. Again, similar, like a, obviously mm-hmm. a long history of Japanese players, in particular Ichiro, but also mm-hmm. uh, but also others. The the proximity to Japan, the position on the West Coast. I think the the but I think the main issue is the two major parts of one. Seattle's not a contender, not in the same level the Dodgers are. But would they be with Otani? Maybe. But that's the thing. Like I, they're a game over five hundred. They made the playoffs last year. Like, and the Angels are about two games under five hundred. There's not very yeah. much separating them right now. And I, I think you could argue that mm. Seattle is in a better place overall than the yeah. Angels. Better ownership, more uh, uh, front office, more willing to do stuff and more willing to spend. Better farm system. Um, better young talent. Better young talent. But I don't know if that is event. I don't know if that makes up for again a team like the Dodgers being able to say if you come here. We're going to be the World Series favorite. Hmm. We're going to be the team to beat. And you are going to be the star of the team to beat. And even if we don't win the World Series, we're going to be there. We're going to be in contention all the time. It took Seattle 20 plus years to get to the playoffs. And I don't necessarily think that that's going to be another 20 year drought. But Seattle is not the Dodgers when it comes to the ability to be a contender on the regular. And I think the other thing in the working in the Dodgers favor is that the other West Coast teams uh, with the exception of maybe the Giants, and I think that and might end up being the Dodgers' strongest competition for Otani at the end of the day, mm. none of them really can can point and say, well, we are also super contenders. The list of super contenders is, you know, it's it's the Dodgers, mm. it's it's the Braves, it's, I mean, it's those two teams really foremost at the top. And then it's, you know, depending on how you feel about the, the historical uh, significance of it, it's the Yankees, but it does mm. not seem like an East Coast team is really in play here, at least from from 
you know, based on, on at the very least, on how Otani approached free agency number one, which is yeah. to say he almost explicitly uh, limited it to West Coast teams. So I think, you know, sure. I mean, it'd be, it'd be very cool to see him in Seattle. It'd be very cool to see him kind of follow the the follow in the footsteps, I guess, of Ichiro. But I guess that's another part of it is does Shohei Otani want to try to follow the most decorated, successful, and beloved Japanese player in Major League history? Mm. And not just in Major League history, but a he's a basically a living god in Seattle. But isn't that a positive where it's like you know how you'll be treated and received and in the LA market you're still just going to be kind of overlooked because there's going to be a lot of other big bigger fish and bigger names even on your own team you have freddie freeman and company like you're not at mookie Betts. like you're not gonna be the guy like you are immediately priority number one in seattle but i think i think he'll be priority number one with the or he would be priority number one with the dodgers too because at the end of the day we're talking about a guy who when he hits free agency next year is going to make 500 million dollars we're talking about what you think as a fan base do you think he's going to be more popular than mookie yeah 100 100 percent i think wherever otani goes he becomes by default the most popular and best player on the team and i think the Mm. dodgers and i also think part of this too is that guys like still kershaw until he retires like i think but i but i think part of it is that guys like mookie betts and freddie freeman and clayton kershaw are also not dudes who i feel like and uh, granted i haven't talked to them and i don't know necessarily how they feel about this inside but like those don't strike me as guys who are like i want the spotlight i want to be the guy you know i'm the face of this franchise you know those seem more like guys, especially given that all of them have now won championships, mm. to be like, you know what? All I care about is winning titles. All I care about is rings, you know? Yeah. All I care about is ending my career on a good team or spending my the rest of my career on a good team. And if adding Shohei Otani does that, by all means. Not to say nothing about the fact this is a team that is per- used to the spotlight being perpetually on them. I yeah. don't think Otani necessarily changes any of that. So some of them might even welcome the focus on Otani. I don't know. I, I think at the end of the day, baseball players care the most about one thing, and mm. that's winning. And signing Shohei Otani is the best way possible to put yourself in position to win a World Series for whichever team does it next year. And I think that's, I mean, that would be true for Seattle, too. I think if Seattle signed Shohei Otani, we can make a genuine uh, claim that they are a real contender. But again, I think that the gap between where Seattle's at and will be and where the Dodgers at Dodgers are at and will be is big enough that I think that's just going to push Otani toward, I want to be with the team that's going to help me win. Hmm. Because uh, this is the other part for Otani. He's got everything else. He'll make he'll make more money than probably any major league player has ever made before him, with the possible exception of when you add in endorsements and everything, Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez. You know, he is a superstar on two continents. Hmm. He is a, f- a genetic freak of nature who is probably going to go down as the greatest player any of us have ever seen in his in our time yeah which is insane to think about because we were saying that about mike trout 10 years ago the one but the one thing he's missing that that you know none of that can achieve is the world series is winning a championship and that's what i think the priority number one is going to be and i think unfortunately seattle just can't sell him on that i don't think i don't think the mariners Mm -hmm. have what it takes to say if you come here i think the one thing the mariners could say is if you come here and you and you win the world series Mm. You like you will you will never pay for a single thing in the city of Seattle ever again. We will build you will statues. Be a, of you, a lead character in Frasier in the yes, Frasier reboot. You will go down in history in terms of 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 uh, basically icon status as the 2004 Red Sox in Boston or the 2016 yeah. Cubs in Chicago. But you're one man, you know, and you can bring the city something it's never ever had before. I mean, he could literally be the most popular Seattle sports athlete of all time. 
On the other hand, if he goes to the Dodgers, he can get Lakers courtside tickets pretty much whenever he wants to. Can you not do that now? Probably, I guess. Yeah, I guess he's in Anaheim. But look, I, I think ultimately the the benefits of being on a super team, on a super rich team, on a team with an incredible player development system and a good farm system and all that fun stuff, I think outweighs ultimately. You know what I can see ultimately is um, almost sort of kind of like LeBron's not ish. You know, depending on how long that contract is with the Dodgers, maybe a place like Seattle is where Otani goes at the end. Mm. You know, when it when he's given Are you if, trying to Robinson Cano him. Yeah, that's depressing. But I think I, I think I think he has to win the championship first. All of the same way I think when LeBron went to Miami with that mm. inte- with that goal in mind of I'm going to bring Chris Bosh and Chris or I'm going to was Chris Bosh already Chris Bosh already no already, Dwayne Wade was already there yeah Dwayne Wade was already Bosch, there he, yeah. he was like I'm going to unite with Dwayne Wade my best friend mm. we're going to bring in Chris Bosh to to bring in this this missing piece of the puzzle in terms of front court athleticism. And we're gonna win a championship. That was mm. that was LeBron James's number one, two, three, four, five, six. All his goals in Miami: win a championship. Mm. And then once he did that, his priorities shifted. Then it became now I want to go back to Cleveland and win a championship there for my home fans. Mm. And then it was well now I just want to be a mogul. Now I just want to be LeBron James, the entertainment icon, and that mm. means going to the Lakers. I think Otani is probably going to be in a similar place where it's the thing that's most important to me right now is winning a title, and the team that is closest to doing that. And where my addition will make the will make will take them over the top in that sense, without me having to do all the work, which is the other part of it. So I think in Seattle he would really be leaned on very heavily to be the guy. I think the Dodgers are the team that make the most sense for him in that regard. Yeah, I just hope he is. Mariners would be cooler. I don't know. Mariners. No, I mean, would be look, cooler. I I would love to see him on a team like the Mariners and do the thing and do the thing yeah. essentially single handedly and be a hero for an entire city, state, region, whatever. I just, you know, the my the the my cold black shriveled heart just the thing it's pumping into my head though is he's going to pick the team that gives him the most money and the best chance to win a World Series. You know, and I almost feel like the money is secondary because again, Shohei Otani is not going to have any trouble making money in his life. You know, I think it is about winning the title for him. For sure. Um John Taylor, what was your yes. favorite uh, Fangraphs piece of the week? You know, it's hard to pick because I really, really liked uh, all the draft stuff we did. I think, um, you know, not just the not just the recapping the draft, and I think particularly uh, our our good our good buddy Eric Longenhagen did a fantastic day one recap uh, of you know of all the the first and second round picks and and the teams they went to. But in particular, I really liked the way Michael Bauman's been writing about the draft. He wrote something. Uh, that we published on Wednesday about what do you do with a first-round catcher. It's, you know, it, it references Kyle Teal, which is a you know guy I mentioned earlier. I like what he wrote about Hurston Waldrep and his splitter and how it's not just a unique pitch, but also one that major league hitters are going to have a really hard time figuring out because this is not the kind of pitch you see particularly often at any level of professional baseball. Uh, I really liked the profile feature he did on Enrique Bradfield Jr. of Vanderbilt, now an Orioles, uh, who is the Orioles' first-rounder, who is arguably the best defensive outfielder or was the best defensive outfielder in college baseball this season. Um, looks like the pot, the likely heir apparent to Cedric Mullins in Baltimore as the center fielder of the future there. Uh, I liked his piece about uh, college teammates uh, getting drafted in the same round, prompted by Paul Skeens and Ty Floyd, both being drafted in the first round. And the likelihood that he even said it was a clickbaity headline. Will Paul Skeens be as good a pro pitcher as his teammate? Which 
I mean, that's not fair to either Paul Skeens or Ty Floyd, but I think Michael just had a really interesting way of looking at various components of the draft that weren't as focused on the individual players. So that, if, again, if you're not a guy who you know cares so much about the one individual player, if you're not a prospect guy, or if you're not a minor league guy, if you're not a draft guy, I think this is a, a really accessible way to get into it, to be like, you know, again, like, you know, what what is the hit rate and success rate of drafting a catcher in the first round, especially out of college versus out of high school? You know, what is, you know, who are the guys who have these unique characteristics like Waldrop with the splitter or like Bradfield with his defense, you know, who you're going to notice before you notice, say, Dylan Cruz, who is a fantastic player all around, but, you know, kind of profiles more just like, again, a great all around player, but without that one uh, kind of unique skill or talent or ability that, you know, that I think casual fans will just pick up on more quickly. Again, I think... Mm. A guy like Waldrop with a splitter, the moment he does eventually make it to the majors, whenever that happens to be, if he makes it to the majors, I should say, you know, fans are going to notice that right away. I think similarly yeah. with Bradfield, they're going to notice right away, this guy can pick it, like, no matter where yeah. you put him in the outfield. Um, so, again, I really, really liked what, what Michael did for, for us draft-wise. But all our draft coverage, really, really, really great. Um, go check it out if you haven't. It's all over our homepage. Um, again, particular, if you didn't, if you missed the draft or you didn't really you know, keep up on it, Eric's day one recap is terrific. Um, check out the board as well. We have uh, draft rankings that are still up. We, we're not going to touch those, I think, until guys start getting signed and start getting integrated into their own farm systems. But the guys who are there, you can read their pre-draft scouting reports. You can get a better sense if you don't really know who your team picked or don't know much about them. All that info is right there. Um, you know, and, and we and we put a ton of effort into the draft. You know, it's, it's one of our big things, along with the trade deadline and uh, top prospect stuff. So go on, give it a read if you haven't. Check out Michael's stuff, too. It's all very much worth your time. Um, but yeah, I think, I think our draft, I really just, I really liked our draft coverage and I think we, we did a really good job with it. Y'all are very good for a multitude of reasons. It's not like the draft major. And I'd like to know too, that, you know, I, I, you know, there are other, there are other publications out there also doing great draft work, baseball prospectus and baseball American particular, but I, I really like what we're, what we're doing with a staff that is much smaller than theirs when it comes to covering, uh, both amateur and college baseball and the draft and the prospect system. So it's really a one man operation with Eric uh, yeah. with some, with some help on the side. Uh, I should also mention Tess Taruskin, who's been uh, very helpful with that as well on our staff, but you know, we're, we're getting it done with a, with a small crew here. And I think that that to me is what makes it all the more impressive. Yeah. John Taylor, always a pleasure. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.